So reading from verse 8, and we're going to read to, uh, to the end of the passage. So you remember last week we were talking about, Ones- uh, about Philemon, about who God had made Philemon to be and, and the, the, um, uh, the way that God had called him to be a man that, that, that refreshed the hearts of the saints and um, and the challenge that we had and talked about that first a little bit. And now in verse 8, our attention and Paul's attention uh, shifts from, from Philemon specifically to talking about his relationship with Onesimus. Let's read what that has to say here. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake... I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, and an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, Sending my very heart, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, Write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even your very own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. So refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, Uh, Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark and Aristarchus and Damas and Luke and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So we talked about who Philemon was last week. Um, but what do we know about this man, Onesimus? Who was he? And uh, what, do we, what do we understand from him? There's, there's two places in Scripture where Onesimus is, is uh, uh, referred to. Here in Philemon, we read about him. And then, of course, also in the letter to the Colossians. 
Um, he was one of the ones that brought the letter, was carrying the letter from Paul to Colossae to be uh, read amongst the people in the, in the church there. And so uh, that's why many scholars think that, that likely Paul had written both of these letters at the same time, both the, the letter to the church in Colossae as well as this personal letter to Philemon uh, regarding Onesimus. Uh, but other than that, there's there's very little information that we have. He's not recorded anywhere in Acts or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> we we don't have a, a lot of information f- in the historical uh, books as well about Onesimus. But from Paul's letter, we can uh, deduce some aspects of who this man um, Onesimus was, and uh, and helps us understand a little bit of what Paul is trying to refer to here in this letter to to Philemon. Uh, Onesimus was a slave, uh, most likely a slave that was owned by Philemon. Uh, That seems to be the whole context of of this particular letter. Um, How do we know he was a slave? Uh, There certainly is references in here to him as a slave, and and rather than seeing that as a, a spiritual condition, um, it, it, it appears to be that this is, this is addressing a, a, a physical reality of his life, that he is a slave. Uh, also from his name, uh, historically we know that that is typically uh, a name given to slaves. Onesimus means useful. And when a, f- a slave had been, uh, had been deemed useful to his master, uh, he had been given that name to identify him as a, as a, a worthy um, uh, um, effective slave and um so uh, so from those and 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 from uh from other things now we can see that that likely he was a slave how did he become a slave again we don't really know within the roman culture there was a number of ways that people became slaves um first of all is being born to a slave family to to a mother who who was a slave and and so automatically you would then be considered uh the property of the the your mother's master and so would uh naturally be uh become one of the slaves of the household and would grow up in that kind of a setting um other ways that people would become slaves when there was a battle or a war that the romans were involved in and and uh the people that were defeated were captured Often they were then taken on as spoils of war for the for the different soldiers and uh, were given as slaves uh, to those that that won those particular battles. Another way that that a uh, um, sometimes even a Roman citizen, which was a little bit more rare, but sometimes even Roman citizens uh, became slaves if they found themselves getting into into a, a, an insurmountable debt. Um, uh, whether it was uh, the family that had gotten into debt, sometimes when a when a, a husband would would get into that position, he would sell himself into slavery uh, to work for somebody for a certain amount of time until that debt was paid off, or he was able to purchase his freedom back. Uh, sometimes, and unfortunately, what happened more often, um, the children of that family would be sold into slavery in order to pay off their parents' debts. And so Onesimus may have come into uh, slavery uh, because of of that kind of uh, a debt. There's an interesting phrase that we that we see here in uh, verse 16 
that maybe some have interpreted this uh, to help us understand a little bit of how Onesimus may have come into slavery. It's this verse that says that when, when Paul is talking about how uh, perhaps the Lord was at work here in this, in these circumstances and situations and, um, and that now Onesimus was being returned to Philemon, uh, not just as a slave, but as a beloved brother. And then he goes on to say, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. Now we understand the part that, that he would be a brother in the Lord, uh, but how would, how would Onesimus be a brother in flesh to, um, uh, to Philemon? Now, there are uh, probably more people would interpret that as saying somehow that he was uh, uh, a brother in humanity, a brother in the church, and and, and those kinds of things. Uh, but there are other scholars who would look at that and su- suggest that perhaps they were actually physically brothers. Um, could be that Philemon's father owned some slaves, and uh, and one of the slaves' women was, was his mistress, and, and through that union there was this baby, Onesimus was born. And so Onesimus would have been born within that family. Now we've talked before about how uh, it, within Roman culture, um, it was common uh, to try and have as, as few children as possible so that you could pour as many financial resources into that child to give them as many advantages socially as possible. And so when there were more than one child that was born into a family, uh, sometimes uh, those children would be uh, adopted off into other families that weren't, that couldn't have any children, or sometimes, unfortunately, these children would be just abandoned. But you can understand if a master, a slave owner, um, had a child with one of his slaves, it would be unlikely that he would claim that child as his own and, and would give the child that inheritance and all of the advantages of being a, a, a part of the, the full, the, the full-blooded family. And so often those children would stay within the home, but would be born into slavery and would continue on. So it's very possible that Onesimus was Philemon's half-brother. And, and, and that, uh, Paul is, is here referring to when he says both in flesh and in the Lord, he's talking about how there is this actual blood connection between the two of them. You can see last week we talked about how Paul's letter is, is turning the, the Roman world, their culture on its head and, 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 um, uh, creating a, a, a brand new paradigm of understanding how relationships work between, uh, a family, between slaves, between masters and all of these kinds of things. And, um, it, it's kind of interesting. It, it's a possibility. And I think that interpretation helps us uh, uh, maybe speculate a little bit more about some of the other things that Paul has written about in, in his letter here, uh, to Philemon. Um, but what else do we know about Phile- about Onesimus from this, uh, from f- the letter to Philemon? Uh, we also understand that Onesimus is a runaway slave. Uh, that for some reason he left his master, um, and, and has, uh, gone away there also it seems to indicate that that either in that leaving or perhaps be uh because of something that he had done somehow he had broken trust with philemon 
Perhaps he had stolen something and then left. Perhaps he had made some huge mistake as a slave and that prompted him to run away in fear for, for reprisals for his mistake that he made. Uh, doesn't go into details, but, but not only was he running away, but there was some way that he had broken trust, that he had stolen something, that he had taken advantage or, or cost Philemon in some way. And so we see Paul writing how uh, that that he's encouraging him to receive Onesimus to himself. And if there's anything that is held against in some way that Onesimus owes Philemon, that he would charge it to Paul's account. Um, and Paul would, would, would repay that. So there was some kind of um, uh, offense that was there in that. And, and given that context of perhaps Onesimus being a half-brother of Philemon, you can understand how a young man as he's growing up in the family and seeing his brother with all of these advantages could become very resentful to think, you know, all he's part of that family. Why won't his father give him the same kind of attention that his half-brother does and, and all that kind of... You can see Onesimus growing up in that family and becoming very bitter, very hurt, um, and, and getting to a point where he's so frustrated that he lashes out at his master Philemon, uh, and, and then runs away in fear for his life. Uh, you understand how there may be some of those kinds of things that, uh, that Paul is referring to when he says that if there's anything that is owed by Onesimus, that he would be able to, that he would repay that. So then how did Onesimus get connected with Paul? There is a Roman tradition that allowed for runaway slaves, if there was some kind of a, a conflict or a dispute between a master and, and his slave, uh, that the slave would, would be able to go to uh, perhaps a trusted friend or maybe somebody who was an authority figure over his master to be able to plead his case, to be able to say, here's the, the, the way that this dispute has gone on between my master and I, and I'm asking that you would mediate in this relationship between us. If you would help us uh, uh, make right this dispute, this disagreement that is between us. Um, and so we see Paul kind of playing that role. Now we don't know if Onesimus went to Paul with that with that intention of, of going and, and um, asking that he would mediate in this relationship between uh, Onesimus and Philemon. Remember, we talked about last week, it was unlikely that Paul had ever been to Colossae before this, but rather that he had met Philemon at some other point in some other location, and there he led him to Christ, uh, but still maintained this relationship between the two of them. So it's not likely that Onesimus had ever met Paul, although it is possible. Also, we know that Paul is writing this from prison. And so looking at the life of Paul, there's two possible um, uh, locations for Paul to be writing this from, either in Caesarea, uh, where he was under the uh, uh, the guard of, of Herod Agrippa. He was there waiting for, uh, for uh, an, uh, an audience before Herod Agrippa the king of of Jerusalem, of, of not Jerusalem, but of Palestine. Um, and so it could have been while he was in that place that he wrote this letter. Probably more likely it was while he was in Rome under arrest waiting for Nero to hear his case. 
And, um, and he was there under house arrest and, and had opportunity of having people come and meet his needs. When he was in prison, he wasn't necessarily under house arrest and wouldn't have access to visitors and stuff. Whereas when he was in house arrest there in Rome, uh, he would have had the opportunity of people coming and serving him. And it looks like Onesimus had uh, somewhat um, unfettered access to Paul while he was there. So it was likely in Rome, but Colossae and Rome were very far away. Colossae is, is over in, in uh, modern-day Turkey area, and Rome we know is way over in Italy. So for, for Onesimus to run away and, and make that long journey all the way to Rome just to have Paul mediate between the two is very unlikely. It's, it's more likely that, that somehow the Lord was at work in his movements and brought him to that place. And that's kind of what we see um, Paul is indicating here. He says in verse 15, for perhaps this is why he, Onesimus, was parted from you for a while, that he might have him back forever. Uh, Paul is, is indicating that there is, he's using the passive voice to say that it wasn't just Onesimus's um, action that, that brought him to the place where he uh, received Christ, met with Paul, and all those kinds of things. Instead, it was the Lord who was actively at work, moving in Onesimus's life, creating the, the circumstances and environment where he and Paul would be able to meet up together and build this relationship, and, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and so it's likely that, that the way that they connected, the Lord was actively present. And uh, when I was a, 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 a youngster at, at home, uh, I, my, my folks had this book that was uh, entitled Onesimus, and it was a fictional recreation of, of what that journey might have been like, what happened in Onesimus's life. And, and as I looked online, there's actually quite a number of books uh, speculating about this relationship between Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul, and and creating these beautiful stories and and intriguing stories of how all of that worked to get him into that place, and 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 certainly Paul gives us lots of opportunity for that kind of speculation uh, to to how the Lord was at work within uh, Onesimus's life to bring him to that place where he became a follower of Christ himself and then was returned to Philemon to play this key role in, in, uh, in the relationships between slaves and owners and masters here in the, the, the Christian church. And so uh, Paul is returning Onesimus to Philemon and and is giving Philemon an opportunity to make right the relationship between himself and, and Onesimus, his former slave. There are many who have looked at this, at this passage of Scripture and, and criticized Paul for supporting slavery, uh, or at, at very best, not standing up and, and declaring that the Christian church should be against slavery and should abolish slavery. Uh, the fact that he would, would encourage 
a runaway slave to go back to his master, to, to, to put himself in a place where he could once again uh, be put in slavery and, and have his freedom taken away. Uh, there are those that would criticize Paul for, for that kind of thing. And, and many who have criticized the Christian church to say, uh, to look at some passages like this and others like that that seem to uh, um, advocate for slavery or at least not, uh, 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 not to argue against um, why slavery should be abolished. But I think as we look more closely at this passage, there's something else very different going on. First of all, I, I think when we look at verse 8, um, Paul writes here, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you what to do, what is required. In Paul's writing, he is very clear on, on the commands that he gives, when he gives a command to somebody, it's not him that's giving the command, but he is repeating what the Lord has given to him. And so the commands that Paul gives are commands from the Lord. And Paul is suggesting here that he is very much in his rights and, and equipped and, uh, um, open by God to be able to give this command to set Onesimus free. He, he builds on that even more to say that I'm bold enough to command you what is required. Uh, he is suggesting that, that this uh, uh, setting Onesimus free is something that is required by Christ, required by, within the Christian church. Why is it required? Well, we look at all of these examples in Scripture of Jesus telling us the, a new command I give you, that you love one another, that, that the most important is love. And love is such a, a key theme in all of these passages. And slavery is opposed to love. Those two cannot coexist. And so... Uh, Paul is suggesting here that, that this command from Christ to love means that he should be setting Onesimus free. But Paul isn't using that right to make the command, but instead he says that he is appealing to you for love's sake that you would receive Onesimus and set him free and, and receive him as a, as a beloved brother. Um, other things that, that, that we have here from Paul is, uh, is that he, he connects with him, with, uh, with Onesimus' situation. He, he says that he himself also is a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Identifying that Onesimus is a prisoner and that, that Paul also is a prisoner. And that's why he is requiring or asking that, that, Ones that Philemon um, respond in love in this circumstance, in these situations. Also, Paul is saying here that, that he, in, uh, in verse 15, that you would take Onesimus back forever, no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. Uh, Paul asks that you would receive him just as you would receive me. So Paul is identifying Onesimus and the, that, that he and Onesimus are equals. And that fits totally with the, the, 
the uh, themes that we have in Scripture about how there is no slave or free, uh, that there's no distinction between the two, that we are all equal in God's sights. There's no difference between male and female. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, that we are all one in Christ, that we are all equal before the Lord. And so all of these, all of these different aspects fit for a Christian church to understand that, that slavery is not something that we should be involved in, but instead we should be seeking uh, people's freedom. So what do you think happened in this church in Colossae? That receiving this letter and did, did Philemon indeed respond in love and, and set Onesimus free? How do you think that the people of the church would have received this letter and how they would have received that information? More than likely, Philemon had other slaves as well. If he did indeed follow in Paul's recommendation and free Onesimus, how did he then respond to the rest of the slaves that he had within his household? Uh, what about the rest of the church? How they, would they have responded to the slaves that they have? Or if there were slaves that were a part of the church, how would they then respond with this letter that was coming up? Again, we don't have a lot of information. Um, we have to speculate. But you can imagine the kind of impact that this letter would have. It sh would have shaken everything up. All of these, these societal structures that they had within their, within their church, within their, within their culture as Romans, uh, would have been, uh, would have been shaken up and, and would have had to rethink all of these things that they had just kind of taken for, for, uh, for granted. We look at the, the history of the church over time that, that throughout history, uh, the church has been the one that has been advocating for the abolition of slavery. And in England, uh, Christians like William Wilberforce and, and his group that worked so hard as abolitionists trying to, to stop slavery and the, the sale of, of human trafficking in, uh, that was happening throughout the British Empire and eventually successful through their persistence. Uh, you look at the United States, and it was the abolitionists in the United States would, would point to Scripture as their foundation for why slavery should be ended in the United States. You look around the world, and there is no culture that did not have slavery as a part of it. And in every culture that the, the Christian church, through missionaries, through the work of, of evangelists and spreading the gospel around the world, it is through their efforts that those ideas of slavery, of, of different societal castes and all that kind of stuff was being, has been, uh, broken down and, and torn apart because of the, the, the influence and the message of Christianity, which is that we are all equal, that every life is valuable, then we are all one in Christ Jesus. That we are called to love one another, to serve one another. Uh, that's, that's why if you're um, involved with with here with getting information about the persecuted church in India, uh, there is a, a, a great surge in new persecutions against Christians in in India, again because there is a a trying to get back to the traditional 
Hindu system which has all of the caste and all of those kinds of things that are a part of it and a rejection of Christianity that has come in and started undermining and eroding those societal structures that have played such a, a, a key part. And that's one of the reasons why Christians are coming under attack is because of their stance against uh, the, the, um, the idea that there are those that are untouchable, uh, that are less valuable than others. Um, and around the world, we have seen that kind of an influence that Christianity has. And it's because of letters like Philemon and messages that we see in 1 Corinthians and in, and in 1 John talking about love, talking about how we forgive one another, how we um, work with one another. So whatever happened to Onesimus? Again, we don't really know. Uh, there is a, a unique reference that, uh, uh, that Ignatius writes about in, uh, in uh, 110 AD when he describes the, the most excellent bishop of Ephesus whose name was Onesimus. So it's possible Ephesus and Colossae were, were fairly close together, cities that were within the same province, same region. It's not unlikely that that is the same Onesimus that we read about here in Philemon. Um, he was the one that became the bishop of the Ephesus church after Timothy died, and that, vo- that role was, was vacant. And so Onesimus came in. Again, we don't know for sure that this was the same Onesimus, um, but yet it seems to make a lot of sense. There's a lot of connections that are there. So what do we do with this information here in our lives? None of us have slaves. None of us have been uh, slaves to, to any, any particular master in our lives. And yet, even within the Christian church, there still are these divisions that can happen between us. A lot of what, what slavery is built out of what racism is built out of is this fear of anyone who is different than I am. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. There can be a lot of differences that bring separation and division amongst us, that that bring fear that I want to hold you at arm's length because you are different than I am. Certainly, race and and color can play those kinds of roles. Um, But also, Within the Christian church, we have seen those kinds of divisions come up between different denominations. Uh, that those uh, that have different interpretations of Scripture, that, that see different parts of Scripture differently. I remember as a young person growing up in a Baptist church that there were uh, many other churches, many other denominations that, uh, whether it was officially that we would say this or or that was whispered amongst ourselves, there was clear there was a a very real uncertainty of the salvation of the people that were in those other denominations Um, those kinds of things still happen today where there are uh, people who worship christ differently that 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 they prioritize different aspects of the christian faith than what we do and so we hold them at bay and we'll sometimes call them heretics or false teachers or things like that. And, and certainly there are those that, that take the Word of God and twist it um, for in, in wrong ways. 
Uh, but that, that resistance, that hesitancy that can come up, that brings those divisions, that brings those, uh, those uh, conflicts between individuals, that doesn't fit for what we see here in Scripture. That we as, as, as followers of Jesus have to be the most welcoming, the most accepting of those who are different. Uh, not that we bubble wrap ourselves and, and pretend like there's no problems, there is no differences, but instead that we accept and we listen to and we engage with one another in the midst of those differences and find how the Holy Spirit is leading us to love one another even in the midst of those significant differences that we have between one another. That we need to be advocating in this world for the breakdown of those divisions that happen within our culture. That when there are those that, <clears throat> that identify a particular uh, ethnic group or a particular social group as somehow less valuable and, and, and condemning all of those, that, that we as Christians would stand up and defend the rights and the equality and the value of each individual. That that's something that we as a people would stand up for. That's what we see presented here within Scripture. That's, that's what this letter that Paul wrote to Philemon was intending. One of the things I love about this congregation is there are so many differences amongst the people that we have that, that call this church their home family. There are many different church traditions that we all come from. There are uh, different socioeconomic stratas that, that, that we all come from. There are uh, some even different races, people that come from far away England and things like that, that, that most of us would shun away, but instead we welcome them as a, a part of our community. But there are, there is this this sense of, of love and welcoming and, and acceptance, even in the midst of the differences that there are, that, that we don't just pretend that those differences don't, uh, that, that don't exist. Instead, we push into those and we seek ways that we can love and encourage one another. But people, brothers and sisters, we need to do that more. We need to find ways of embracing those differences that there are between us. Uh, that, that we don't just pretend like those differences don't exist and that we can kind of get along happy, happy without ever having to address some of those hard issues that come up between us. Uh, that, that we as a, as a local congregation would find ways that we could stand up for the rights of people within our community and with our region who are marginalized, who are identified as somehow less than worthy and are, are, uh, um, outcast in some ways out of our society. That we would step beyond those societal and cultural kind of divisions that are there and instead that we would push into a place of being advocates of love. That, that we would look beyond those differences and see ways that we can build bridges between one another. I don't know where God is doing that in your life, how he is leading and guiding you in that way, but, but let's as a family together pray for ourselves, pray for one another, that the Lord would lead us into not becoming agents of division, but rather that 
ambassadors of love. That we would be seen as those who are unifying and, and, and accepting those that, that, that are different than us. And that we would live out the themes in the heart here of this letter to Philemon. And who knows down the road what impact that might have, the choices that we make today, what that will have within our community, within our province and within our nation and around the world because of the ways that we extend that love that Jesus calls each and every one of us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for inspiring Paul to write this letter. Thank You for the ways that it challenges us to go beyond, uh, to go beyond our cultural comfort zones and instead intentionally engage in in relationship building with others that are different than us. Thank you for the ways that it has, over the, the history of the church, motivated men and women to go into cultures that were uh, extremely foreign to them and, and, and to extend the love of Christ into those places. Uh, Father, would you be raising up people here within this congregation uh, that would leave the safety of this island and would go to, uh, to nations where, where they would be seen as, as somebody very different, but could take a, a message of hope and love into those places that we would, that we would see new lives brought into the kingdom of heaven through those that were willing to step across those cultural boundaries and to extend the love of Christ into those places. Father, would you help us here within this community that we would be those agents of love? and acceptance, uh, that we would be the ones that would be breaking down the, 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 the boundaries and the, the, uh, the limits that there are between different cultural groups that are here, that live here in this area, that we would be extending a hand of love and acceptance to those that are outcasts, those that are marginalized within our community. Father, that, that we would be a people that loved one another. That we would accept one another even in the midst of all the differences that there are in are between each and every one of us. That we would be a, a people, not, not that we would ignore those differences, but instead we would engage in those differences and it would be in the midst of those differences that your love would become clearly evident in our lives so that the watching world around us would, would have to acknowledge that you are here in our midst. And I know that there's no way that we can pull that off on our own. We need your spirit to be at work in our lives. And so we trust that your grace would come, that you would be at work in our lives and you would lead us and empower us to carry out those, world, those roles. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.